0: with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, June 30th, 2022. Welcome Mm -hmm. back to... The CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, Dodo Birds, and Leaky Black Cow. Boone is here with me. If you're watching live on YouTube, please smash the like button like your are Brandon Davies. You have consent. The big news of the week, I guess, is that Imani Bates has found home. He's going to be an Eastern Michigan Eagle. He's going home to Ypsilanti to play for Stan Heath, largely because his options really dwindled to nearly nothing in recent weeks. Michigan didn't want him. Michigan State didn't want him. Louisville didn't want him. Reportedly, Amani Bates wanted to, to go at one point at the last minute, but Hardaway also did not want him. As I wrote in a column uh, that you can find at cbsports.com, it, it is a striking fall from prominence. Less than three years ago, at the age of 15, Amani Bates was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The words next to his face were, Built for this. Underneath his chin, and it's not a strong jaw like strong jaw, but, you know, he has a chin. It, it read Michael, Magic, Ron, and it was written by Michael Rosenberg. A college just called Imani Be- Headed to Eastern Michigan where he needs a strong bounce back season after one disastrous year at Memphis to maybe compete for Mac Player of the Year's honors. So that's where we're at. Kyle Boone, uh, what do you make of, of this Amani Bates situation? How you go from being labeled the number one player in your class in 2022 then reclassifying to 2021 where you're still a top five prospect with the guy who went first in the 2021 NBA Draft, second in the 2021 NBA Draft, and seventh in the 2021 NBA Draft. And now you're basically being told by one high major after another, "We don't want you. You should probably just go to Eastern Michigan.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a long path that Imani has taken to get to this point, going all the way from tracking to high school. You know he he was pulled out of high school to play prep school on a team that was that was built around him. And I, I think ideally, right, I think the the premise of that decision was, hey, the the talent around you is not going to be super great, but you're going to be the feature spot. You're going to be the reason guys come to scout you when they come to watch your games. They're going to only watch you. Um, the talent surrounding him was not ideal. Um, I think that ended up hurting him. Uh, Kevin Flaherty, who who writes for Two Four Seven, had had noted to me yesterday. I think the decision to not play up was was maybe questioned in in grassroots circles because as you mentioned at the top, this is a guy who has been for years and years and years considered the, the number one talent, not just like at his classification, but like basically the best basketball prospect, regardless of age. And he continued to play basically at his level. He, he, he mostly played down The the talent around him was not ideal. Um, and then he, he, he goes and reclassifies plays at Memphis. Counting stats were okay, but he he didn't look like you know the guy that I think people expected him maybe to be as you know a five star recruit, former number one recruit in his class, and uh, was running through the numbers uh, with with Imani Bates in Memphis and adjusted team offensive efficiency with Imani last season. This is per Evan Maya, who runs a great analytics website. This one hundred nine point uh, nine that ranked seventh on Memphis's team last season. Adjusted team defensive efficiency with Imani. Again, this is per Evan Maya, uh, 89.1. That ranked 8th on the team. And um, this is crazy. I don't know if you, you know this or not. You can actually sort Bart Torvik data using different dates. Yeah. What? Yeah, crazy, crazy thing. I just just realized this. So I'd like to trademark this as, uh, as something new and and, and profound. Uh, Memphis with Imani last season. This was in games November 9th through January 27th. 66th at Bart Torvik. Um, Memphis when Imani was out with you know basically a back injury um, is I think it was the, the the reasoning that he was out games played February fifth through March thirteenth which is basically the end of the AAC tournament. Uh, Memphis ranked number six at Bart Torvik, so I think the overwhelming data suggests that Memphis was a better team when Imani Bates was not playing, and <clears throat> I think you can you can maybe say he, he's in over his head, he wasn't developmentally quite ready to contribute at a high level to, to a really good Memphis team that was clearly older, um, you know, outside of Jalen Duran that, that was a pretty experienced college basketball team, but I think it's an indictment overall of, of kind of where his game is at now, clearly the options that he had, um, when he hit the transfer portal, I think people expected he would, he would land at a high major situation because Teams typically want to bet on five-star recruits who have that type of pedigree, but that was not the case. Um, sounds like the the reports are that, that most of the high major programs interest kind of dried up. And now he lands uh, with EMU going back to his home state. Um, I think it could be a good situation for him, but this is a guy who has to kind of rebuild himself, his confidence and in, in his game. Um, I still believe that he has NBA potential, but He's a long ways off from being kind of the prodigious talent that I think a lot of people expected he was.
0: Yeah, this is a story that still has to write an ending. Um, yeah. The idea that it's over for Amani Bates is is crazy. You know, I, I just wrote like 1,200 words about him and nowhere in there um, do I insist uh, the Amani Bates as an NBA player uh, uh, storyline is, is dead. He can still get to where... He always seemed destined to go, although I do think it's reasonable to, um, at this point, assume he'll never be Magic, Michael, or LeBron, or anything like that. Um, A lot of thoughts here, so bear with me. When um, I, I tweeted the link to the column this morning, one of the comments in there was, uh, nothing's wrong with Imani Bates. Uh, the real thing that's wrong is a media member uh, identified him improperly three years ago and called him something he was never going to be. So, uh, a media member misevaluated him. That's the only wrong thing with Imani Bates. And to that, I would just say, um, that's 100% wrong. That is not what happened. Um, Michael Rosenberg didn't decide just all. Willy nilly, I think uh, this 15 year old is the next Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Magic Johnson. That was widely regarded as Amani Bates' reputation at the time. This yeah. isn't something where a, a guy at Sports Illustrated decided to write a story and everybody was like, This is crazy. Like, if you just fundamentally think it's crazy to label 15 year olds that way, I hear you and maybe this will be a lesson for why we should never do it. Like no matter what a 15-year-old looks like, we don't take it that far yet because remember Amani Bates? Perhaps that will be the larger lesson from this. But at the time, there was nothing crazy about talking about Amani Bates that way. There were tons of talent evaluators who said this is the best 15-year-old I've ever seen. You know, in the story, a coach is quoted as saying He's the uh, best player I've ever seen. And another coach was like, "Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, he was he was he looked the part. You know? He looked the part. And then it just stopped. Like you're supposed to go from being the best 15-year-old in the world to being an even better version of yourself at 16 and an even better version of yourself at 17. But a variety of things I think contributed to his development, just pausing. Um, Some of it was the pandemic. You know, he lost a year in there, but everybody lost a year in there and it didn't seem to hurt Chet Holmgren or Paulo Bencaro or Shaden Sharp or any of these other guys who were similarly talked about, you know, at, at comparable ages or at least, you know before they entered college so that that that's an explanation on some level but you know every all of us endured the pandemic and it it didn't pause all basketball players development i think the larger thing is is what you noted they pulled him out of his high school they built the prep school around them and not only did they do that they built a grassroots team around them and i guess on some level the explanation for that could be what you noted which is Hey, you won't be around comparable talent, but like it'll be all about you I, I maybe that played a role um, I think it was probably profitable as well. I'm assuming mm. that it was a profitable These decisions were profitable. I'm assuming that I don't know that, but I'm assuming it. I've always assumed it and when you did that, and by you, I mean Elgin Bates, amani Bates father, what you did is... It seems clear with the benefit of hindsight is really create situations all year round throughout the high school season, then into the summer season. That uh, you created situations where he's not being pushed by comparable talent, he's not being coached by high level people. And I don't care how talented you are, if you're not, if you don't know how to push yourself, and or you're not being pushed by other people, you start to flatten a little bit. And rather than wreck, and, and by the way, this was clear. This was clear. Like when we all, uh, you know, um, got back to living relatively normal lives. And for these purposes, I mean, going back to Peach Jam and watching High School Prospects, I, I remember going to, to Peach Jam, I guess it was last summer. And the prevailing thought among coaches were like, man, Imani Bates is not good. I like. I I remember seeing a Pac-12 coach. I was walking into the gym. He was walking out. It was one of those things, you know how it is. Hey, 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 good, hey, what's up? And uh, I said, so I said, who you been watching? And he was like, "Ah, I was in this gym. He goes, and this, I swear to God, this is exactly what he said next. Dude, Amani Bates sucks. And I was like, (laughs) and I was like, what? I don't think he meant Amani Bates sucks, right? But he just meant like, that's not. Remember what he was? Yeah, It, it don't look like that anymore. And and it just rather than recognize this as name, image and likeness rights were becoming a reality for college athletes. His father fast tracked it, uh, presumably to cash in in real time and reclassified and sent a 17 year old, very thin um, young man uh, to play at, at Memphis, even though it became clear almost the moment he got on campus that he wasn't ready for that. And still Penny Hardaway was trying to force it a little bit because, like, it's Amani Bates, five-star freshman, we, you know, projected lottery pick. We, we got to start him, got to play him, got to run things through him. But it became clear quickly they're better without him. They went through a four-game losing streak, to Iowa State, Georgia, Ole Miss, Murray State. And there was a three-game stretch where Amani against Ole Miss, Murray State, Alabama, went 5 of 23 from the field in that stretch. And then he basically got benched in the second half of the Alabama game. Like, started the half, I don't remember the exact details, but like played four minutes, Penny took him out, and he never came back in the game. And they won the game. And this was a win over an Alabama team that I think had just beaten Gonzaga. And after that, his role didn't diminish like greatly, like he still played, but he wasn't nearly as important to the process to what was happening as, as he was uh, uh, supposed to be when the season started. And then he gets this back injury. And this is interesting because you're right. That is what they called it. And if you read stories, you know, written over the past 24 hours, it's like missed missed 18 games with a back injury. Leading up to the back injury, and for people not watching it live on YouTube, I'm using air quotes with back injury. Leading up to that, he was playing somewhere between 20 and 27 minutes per game. Literally nobody ever mentioned a back issue at all. How's Amani feeling? Oh, he's fine. Any issue? No. No issue. Nobody ever mentioned this. And then he had a back issue. He's not playing anymore, and he's back in Michigan. First off, Memphis has doctors. You don't have to go to Michigan to go to the doctor. You know, when a a player from Michigan goes to Kentucky and encounters some sort of medical issue, they just see the doctors in Kentucky. They don't say, I got to go home to Michigan. I'll see you guys when I see you guys. It was unusual, weird. Mm -hmm. And I'm not insisting that he didn't have a – that his back didn't hurt. Like everybody's back hurts. My back's hurting right now. Same. But I do not believe he missed more than a month of basketball with a back issue. I'd never believed it then. I don't believe it now. I believe more likely um, that his father was frustrated with how things were going. And they were on the verge of shutting it down for good. Now, Imani did come back and, you know, play maybe three minutes against Boise state in the NCAA tournament, 12 more against Gonzaga, but he was never a part of the team anymore. And I think that had to do more with his father than his back. And the father is among the reasons none of these schools wanted him this summer. Um, I, I should say being a father is difficult and I'm sure Elgin Bates loves his son. And has been trying to do the right things by his son. Um, Being a parent is complicated. And I imagine, can't say for sure because this doesn't apply to me, but I imagine being the parent of the next big thing and you got a million different things pulling you in different directions. I imagine that gets super complicated. So those are my disclaimers. But it is hard to refute the idea that he has mismanaged this at every turn since Amani Bates was labeled the best 15-year-old in the world. Um, The prep school was a mistake. Building the grassroots team around him was a mistake. Um, I think fast-tracking him to Memphis certainly looks like a mistake. And the way he handled the whole situation when Amani was at Memphis, also a mistake. Causing scenes inside FedEx Forum at home games, literally yelling at the coaching staff in the middle of games. Like other high-major coaches, Jawan Howard, Kenny Payne, Tom Izzo, like they watched this or heard about it, and we're like, I'm not getting involved in this. Like Once upon a time, you were willing to deal with Elja Bates because Amadi Bates was this generational talent. Now he doesn't look like he's a generational talent, and that's how you end up having your options dwindled, and now you're playing at Eastern Michigan. And it, it might go well. I hope it does. But it strikes me, and I'd be interested to get uh, your thoughts on this. It strikes me as falling under the umbrella, same umbrella of what they've done every step of the way. Mm. Amani is going to have this whole program back home built around him where he's going to get all the shots. And how is that going to be good for him? It hasn't been good for him in high school, at the prep school, on a grassroots level. I thought if he could get in with G League Ignite, be around pros and off the radar, that would have been beneficial. Or go somewhere where you can have a, strong coach you're surrounded by comparable talent and the coach has the power to say elgin don't call me don't move here detach from your son and let me coach him now maybe that option at the high major level just did not exist but this eastern michigan thing doesn't sound like it's the type of thing that that rejuvenates his career in a way that puts him back you know, in projected lotteries for the 2023 NBA draft.
1: Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that's a very fair criticism. I would also add to it. This, this is definitely partly just a talent problem. Um, take, take another prospect, for example, who had just a wild high school prospect trajectory, Lamella ball, his dad pulled him out of high school as a junior. Um, he played overseas uh, with, with Lithuania, um, widely considered to be just a very strange decision because he was at Chino Hills. He, he was really developing, like, at, I think at the time was a five-star recruit. He was, he was considered to be like one of the top prospects at the high school level in his class goes to Lithuania. Um, isn't there very long. He he signs up with the Los Angeles ballers in the JBA, a professional league that was created by LaVar ball and and still, yet he continues on. He goes to the Illawarra Hawks, plays in the NBL, and and there it's where he kind of really establishes himself um, as as one of the bright young stars in college basketball. It, it was a it was a strange path. People were questioning Lavar Ball at at every turn, and I think rightfully so um, because it, it was it was a jarring path. It was not a path that typical blue chip prospects take, but. I think in the end, Lamelo Ball's talent won out. His development won out. Uh, I don't know. Are we, give, are we giving credit to Lavar Ball now for, for that? I, I well, still don't. Know. I,
0: I've I've always, and I don't want to get too off track here, yeah. but I've always thought the criticism of Lavar Ball, like Lavar Ball is the worst dad ever. Like Lavar Ball raised three young men who were given at who could have uh, had athletic scholarships to play. Uh, to go to college for free and two of them were top 3 picks in the NBA draft. Yeah. Like like it, did Levar Ball make mistakes along the way? Sure. Did he behave in a way that I don't think I would have behaved? Of course. But largely speaking, Levar, what when I look at Levar Paul, what I always saw from the first day I met him and I met him before anybody knew who he was. Um what I saw was a a super involved father who loves his boys and spends every uh, minute of free time trying to turn them into something he wanted them to be. And like, you know, that that's way closer to dad of the year than worst father ever from my perspective.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm, and I'm certainly not criticizing LeVar. Although at the time, I think there was a lot of questions about what is LeVar doing? He's he's ruining LaMelo. Um, cause I, it looked like the path was there for him to just be kind of take the traditional route, go through the high school ranks, be a five-star recruit, go to UCLA where he was originally committed, go on and, and be a top pick. And he turned himself into the number three pick, uh, yeah, just and, a few years
0: and, ago. and on that, I guess I would yep. argue those are things I think LaVar probably mismanaged. I, I think a mm-hmm. lot of that stuff was done incorrectly, but to your point, I think this is the point you're making LaMelo was so talented. He just yeah. got, he just got there anyway. He yep. was so talented. He just got there anyway, and it is possible, if not probable, at this point, that Imani Bates just does not possess that same type of natural talent.
1: Yeah, that's exactly the point I'm making. Is it? It sounds like Elgin Bates has kind of fumbled the bag in in several ways here, and and maybe he hasn't like li- literally fumbled the bag. Maybe he's got the bag multiple times, but he's fumbled <laughs> the situation uh, to the point where he hasn't. I don't think put Imani in the best situations now i think imani's development has has really been hurt over the last few years in in part because of the, some of the decisions that he's made and he has not quite developed in the same way same trajectory same you know path to being a potential first round pick that lamelo took i think that's probably more testament to lamelo and his talent than it is to imani and in the situation that he's faced but um yeah I, I think it's fair to blame elgin to some extent but also just Imani over the last few years had really plateaued, was kind of riding high off the reputation. And, um, you know, the the fact that he won and done at Memphis and, you know, basically was not welcome back, I I think is is not a surprise. I I do want to ask you, GP, uh, I want to play a little game if if you're open to it.
0: I'm open to games, sure.
1: Okay. This is called the Kevin Durant or Imani Bates game. Mm Mm-hmm. I looked up some scouting reports from high school. Uh, and I want you to tell me who wrote, uh, who, what, what the description is for each scouting report and who, who it is being named. So we'll go, this is the first one here. I'll give you an easy one. This is the first game I watched him as a 10th grader. He is turning into a man, all caps, man. Best prospect since LeBron, and it ain't even close.
0: I would say that was about Kevin Durant. That was
1: about Imani Bates.
0: Okay,
1: next one. Player X has already shown he can be consistently effective against the best players in this class using his versatility to contribute in other ways when his shot isn't falling. But it's unseen how his game will translate to college and eventually to the NBA. If he doesn't add some more bulk to his currently wirely frame. He would be best served to increase his strength heading into next year while developing some reliable back-to-the-basket moves as well.
0: That sounds like Kevin Durant.
1: That is Kevin Durant. That's right. Uh, Next one, the best NBA prospect in the world, regardless of age. He's arguably the best NBA prospect I've ever evaluated. 6'9", handles it like a guard, can pull up anywhere on the floor, has a star quality about, about him, a killer instinct. The kid has all the makings of a future number one pick, a franchise-changing talent.
0: That sounds like it's about Imani Bates.
1: That is about Imani Bates. Um, I have several others here. um,
0: Well, that's that's just yeah. That's the point I was trying to make earlier. Like the idea that, uh, like, I, you know, I'm sure Michael Rosenberg like hates the attention that that cover story now gets, but he wasn't out of line he was in pretty uh in lockstep with the the general again it, this wasn't a michael Rosenberg evaluation he was talking right. to college basketball coaches and nba front office executives this this was largely what people thought amani bates was the next big thing the yep. best uh nba prospect in the world regardless of age and keep in mind less than a year ago he was ranked number 1 in the class of 2022 that was less than a year ago. And when he, we got reclassified, he at 24 7 Sports uh, was slotted fifth behind only Chet Holmgren, Paulo Banquero, Shaden Sharp, and Jaden Hardy. Guys that were picked first, second, seventh, and somewhere in the 30s of last week's NBA draft. Um, but I think the. Not the first sign that there might be issues, but a sign that there would be issues was the Memphis Pro Day last year. I don't know if you remember this. He was terrible. I mean, not in terms of basketball stuff. I don't. I don't know. I didn't see that. But the measurements were bad. He has no wingspan. Mm-hmm. It was like you know six nine with a six nine wingspan, which is not good. Um, and, the, and I'm not even sure it was six seven. whatever it was. Like it was his arms were notably not what you would want them to be t-rex arms yeah he has t-rex arms and then the vertical was like 24 or 26 it was something that it was like he he tested like a non-athlete and measured in a way you don't want wings to measure and th- i think that really opened some eyes and then when you combine that with um the basketball stuff looked inefficient and overwhelming for him at at Memphis you get to a place where it it is not guaranteed that he'll be picked in the 2023 NBA draft I think most people right now have him projected as a borderline first round pick where would you have him right now in next year's draft
1: I at, at this point I would not have him as a first round pick um It's, I think it's one of those things I want to see it happen. Um, I want to see him progress a little bit more before I have him as a first round pick. Um, wouldn't surprise me if he ended up as a first round pick next year. In fact, I, I think it's more likely than not that he ends up as a top 30 guy come next year. But like at this point, I'm, I would not, I would not be, I would not be touching, uh, Imani Bates unless I see some, some notable, uh, improvement.
0: Yeah. That's where I'm at. Um, we, we got someone in the comments, Coach Hastings, here on YouTube, who said, how do you guys think this would compare to Patrick Baldwin going to Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not entirely the same situation, but he would have to dominate the MAC in order to be a top pick, right? I think this is very different than the Patrick Baldwin situation yep. because what NBA people looked at as it pertains to Patrick Baldwin's disastrous season at Milwaukee is – was just a disastrous season at Milwaukee under not great circumstances. We don't care. We're going to believe in what we saw um when he was a standout uh you know, high school prospect. Uh obviously the the, the season at Milwaukee it, it mattered some cuz he went 28th instead of 8th, but it's, the Golden State Warriors at the very least just said, "We're not worried about that. We're going to focus on we're going to evaluate him the same way the Grizzlies evaluated Zaire Williams the year before. We're not worried about the one year we believe in the talent. The problem for Imani is if he has a disastrous year at Eastern Michigan, whatever that looks like, that's two disastrous years of college basketball. Yeah. And at that point, it becomes nonsensical to evaluate him on what he was at, at Peach Jam you know, years earlier. A- at that point, you've just watched this guy play – two seasons of college basketball for different coaches, different leagues at different levels. And if, again, this is, uh, for the sake of the conversation, assuming he, you know, for the sake of conversation, if he's not good, then that's like, he's just not good. You know, at that point, he's just not, he's six, nine, uh, you know, has some skill can make some shots was really awesome when he was 15, but we watched him at 17 and 18, be not be a not good college basketball player. Then I think you're, you're done as a draftable prospect. Um, I, I, I still think there's a ceiling now on what he can become as a prospect. Like, I don't, I don't think I could imagine him becoming a top five guy now, no matter what he does at Eastern Michigan. Um, and it's not that you can't evaluate players at that level. Obviously you can you know, Damian Lillard was evaluated at Weber State. John Morant was evaluated at Murray State. These NBA front office executives are so good that they can find you literally anywhere. So it's not that we um, well playing against Mac players won't give him the opportunity to prove that he's a legitimate NBA prospect. But um, but I, I do think this is this is kind of the same recipe that got him here which is you know he needs to not be the best guy on his team the leading shot taker on his team he needs to be pushed in practice maybe get overwhelmed a little bit in practice every once in a while that's that's from my that that's the way i could envision him getting better um, going to eastern michigan and taking all the shots for a team that you know probably isn't going to win that much i mean i, I earlier in this offseason amani Bates was quoted as saying The most important thing, quote, most important thing um, was that he wanted to win, and he just went to a program that hasn't had a winning record since 2018, hadn't made the NCAA tournament since 1998, finished outside of the top 300 at Ken Palm this past season, and as of last night was 262 at BartTorvik.com. This is probably not going to be a winning situation, and certainly not winning to any sort of notable degree at the the college level. So going to a program where he's going to take all the shots, lose a lot, I just... Ugh. I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong. Cuz if I'm not wrong, this is one of the sad stories of 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 how prospects go from one place to another. But um I I would have done something other than this. I think um although it, like note, like we've noted his options seem to have dwindled to almost nothing in Eastern yeah. Michigan in recent weeks. Um it's it's you know it's uh it's 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 a wild story cuz I mean you don't see this happen. I mean, I think literally ever, you know, a year after being named the number one player in your class, nobody wants you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're at. You know, um, like you saw throughout this process, big names pop up, Louisville's involved and mm-hmm. Michigan's involved. And they just, they just took other people and, at, and it is being reported, um, that, if Penny Hardaway would have taken him back, he would have just stayed at Memphis. He would have exited the transfer for come back to Memphis. That is what multiple, um, you know, John Martin at the Daily Memphis and Mark Giannato at the Commercial Appeal, they have both reported that. And that Penny, and I think this shows a little bit of a changing perspective from Penny Hardaway on Penny Hardaway's part as well. Like Penny, since he became the Memphis coach, has always wanted the shiniest things. Give me all the five stars I can get. And now he was like, rather than deal with Elgin Bates another year, and try to turn Imani Bates back into an NBA prospect, you know what? I'm going to take Emmanuel Acott from Boise State. I'm going to take Keontae Kennedy from UTEP. I mean, that is literally what they did. He, Kenny Hardaway more or less decided, I'd rather have Emmanuel Acott and Keontae Kennedy than Imani Bates. I'd rather have older guys who I know can play in college than – I'd rather try. I'd rather focus on building a good college basketball team, whatever that looks like, than having part of my job over the next year being turning Amani Bates into what Amani Bates was supposed to be. I'll let Stan Heath do that. That's like really a decision Penny Hardaway appears to have made. Yeah. Uh,
1: shout out to Coach Hastings for the question on the the Patrick Baldwin. I think that's a great question. And shout out to in the chat Jonathan Phipps, who uh, is always a very active member, always commenting. Um, real quick on the, the Hastings, like. The, the Baldwin comp, I don't, I don't think is even close to, to accurate. Um, Baldwin, yes, they're, they're both former number one recruits. Um, but Baldwin had a, an injury, you know, early in his senior season, completely derailed his senior year, uh, came back to, to Milwaukee with high expectations. Obviously, it was a five-star committed to Milwaukee over Duke, but um, but never really dominated in a way that I think people expected a guy who had his pedigree, his background would, um, that is, you know, similar I think to Amani, but I, I still think, you know, part of Baldwin's problems was I'm not entirely sure he was healthy. Um, he, he had an injury at the end of his freshman season, shut down. He really only played like basically a dozen games, kind of a mixed bag, ended up being a first round pick. Um, but I think, I think most of the questions surrounding Baldwin are injury related. The the questions with Imani, I think are, you know, talent questions that how, how can he continue to develop? And right now he's, he's not at the point where, um, where I think he will be a first round pick. Now, again, we, we, we talked about this earlier. I, I think that could change. Um, He'll, he'll need to show some market development over the next year at Eastern Michigan, a place where, I'm not entirely sure he can do that. Um, but, yeah, I think the situations are are pretty different. I still do believe, though, that they could end up in a similar trajectory where, you know, if Imani Bates is taken, you know, 27th uh, next year in, in the NBA draft, that would not surprise me at all.
0: And this should conclude 35-minute uh, episodes of the Island College basketball podcast on Imani Bates. If we have a, another one of these – It means something has gone entirely. I think more wrong than right. (laughs) You know, that's the other thing about going to Eastern Michigan. It's like I can remember at one point last season, like Patrick Baldwin as a prospect, Mm could couldn't couldn't stop talking about him, thinking about him. Um, Patrick Baldwin makes an announcement. He's going to play for his dad. Okay, I'm going to write a column about that. And then it was like December and or January, and I was like, I haven't thought about Patrick Baldwin one time just sort of disappeared Now he wasn't playing he had injuries but like largely just disappeared because you know when you go to Milwaukee you kind of just disappear and uh that that's another thing that will soon happen to Amani Bates is um everything he's done uh in basketball to this moment has been a big national headline and I think after today um that 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 is probably over. Um, be yeah, I think today that's that's probably over. Like even if he, you know, has a nice season at Eastern Michigan and like you said becomes the 27th pick in the draft, it's it's not that notable. It's just uh, you know it's just it's just another basketball story at this point. Let's let's move on. Long Island University making a coaching change in late June. That's a weird timing. We'll touch on that next. But first, a word from our sponsors. So Adam Finkelstein broke the news yesterday, confirmed by Long Island University earlier today. Derek Kellogg is out as L.I.U.'s coach after five seasons, going to be replaced by Rod Strickland, who uh, had been running uh, the G League Ignite program. So the timing here is obviously odd. It's late June um this is not the time you, you you see a lot of college basketball coaches like maybe a random retirement or off to the nba but just we're firing our coach who like literally two days ago was running camps at liu um so just just a a wild story um what, what did you make of of this popping seemingly out of nowhere
1: pretty stunning did not see this coming did not think that kellogg was on the hot seat um we don't typically see firings in the summer, much less late June, early July. It is June 20th, uh, June 30th. Now he was fired on June 29th. That just does not happen. He was fired. 116 days after the end of, of their college hoop season. Um, my opinion is this it's ridiculous timing. I mean, most teams have their rosters set by now. I don't think it's very fair to players who now have to decide, do they want to play for, you know, Rod Strickland or do they want transfer? Uh, don't think it's fair to, to Kellogg who was, you know, he was fine as, uh, as LIU's coach. He was 74 and 74. Um, was doing pretty well. Um, don't think it's fair for Strickland who takes over now, you know, in the, in the summer months and has to, Kind of pick up the pieces um, at LIU. Just strange timing, strange circumstances all the way around. Um, you know, for, for those who, who maybe aren't familiar with Kellogg, he's a longtime Memphis assistant under under Cal. Um, has been at LIU for for several years now, and and seem to be kind of heading in an okay direction. Um, it's a tough job in general. Um, not sure what the expectations are at LIU, but. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, the timing is is just super weird, and and as you know, like he was running a camp at LIU just a few days ago, like that is that is uh pretty cutthroat from whoever made that decision, and um, I'm kind of curious if there's more to this story than than maybe we know.
0: Um, well, I'm I'm sure I'm sure there is. Yeah. Um, but my, and I've known DK forever. Um, but you mentioned he's a longtime Memphis assistant. Like when I was the Memphis beat writer, he was on Cal staff. Um, you know, played for Cal at UMass, uh, was on Cal staff at, at Memphis. Like, I've known Rod forever, too. Like, he was on staff at Memphis as well. Um, so, you know, I, I know the characters in this story. And when I talked to people yesterday, you know, my, my, my fundamental stance, my basic stance on this is unless it is scandal-related and you feel like you have no choice but to make a move now, Firing a basketball coach at the collegiate level in late June is crazy. Um, it's not good for anybody. I'd argue it's not fair uh, for because DK he'll have a buyout and you know he's made some money and you know financially I don't think he's got to worry about how he's going to pay his mortgage in six months, right? But assistant coaches are tip- at that level; yeah. like, they're not rich and they need jobs, and it's difficult to try to find a assistant coaching job. At this point in the calendar so unless it's scandal related this is wrong and i was told by multiple people i trust yesterday it's not scandal related um that that i I was like you know if if you did something and like i can't defend that and i was told by multiple people this is not one of those scandals where they had to fire the coach now it's not like that and uh you know i I, i'll I'll take those people at their word uh which means that i I think this is a a pretty in embarrassing move by liu um you know if if you want to fire Derek kellogg in march you know I, I, i haven't thought about it enough to know whether that would be reasonable or not but to do it in late june if it's not scandal related it just seems like something that probably shouldn't have been done and now you you hope for the you know dk and the people on his staff like that they they can land on their feet because it's much easier to land on your feet when you when you know you've you know been pushed out in march than it is when you are blindsided by this in late june because by all accounts they were blindsided by this in late June. Not only was DK running camps earlier this week, he was literally tweeting pictures of like him and campers, like he was still very publicly acting as LIU's head coach. And it, it, my understanding is had no real idea this was this was on the verge of of happening. It's a pretty a pretty bizarre story. Like you said, I'm I'm sure there's more to it. There's always more to everything, but. Unless it was scandal related, I, this is this is pretty pretty awful timing.
1: Yeah, one one losing season that was three years ago. A couple of uh, exactly five hundred seasons. There were sixteen and fourteen last year. Two games above five hundred. Um, very bizarre. Very bizarre timing. Very bizarre decision. Uh, all the way around. Just uh, kind of a kind of a head scratcher for sure.
0: Let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Hook, shouts to Larnell, and thank you guys once again for listening. I own college basketball podcast in the at some stage. Some stage in the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you haven't subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Five stars, nice reviews while you're there. Type some words. There's more of us than there are of them. It needs to be reflected in the comments. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, either live right now or later on in the day, later on the week, please, before you exit, uh, smash that uh, like button. It really does uh, help in a variety of ways. So we appreciate you, and we'll talk to you again Have a nice holiday weekend. We'll talk to you again at some point real soon. Till then, take care.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.